Basically, three things we'll be looking at. We'll be looking at the Nazarite vow, and it's basically a promise someone will be able to make if they want it to be more set apart and more devoted to the Lord. Then we'll be looking at the blessing, right? God's blessing, the specific blessing God would want Aaron and all of the high priests to tell the people as they would be leaving the sanctuary, God had them say a very specific blessing. We'll see really the heart of God there, how he doesn't want to be misrepresented. He wants the people to know who he truly is and his heart and his love for them. And then in chapter 7, it's the second largest chapter in the Bible, 89 verses. Uh, A lot of repetition there. Don't get worried, right? Some of you are saying, oh man, let me get a coffee before we start. Uh, But a lot of repetition there. And we'll see just a free will offering from the different leaders of Israel. How even though God had called them to something different, something not being a Levite or something not being a priest, that did not stop them from being able to give God more or to be able to give to the work of the ministry. So those are the three things we'll be looking at. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord. So this is this Nazarite vow. And that word Nazarite, it literally means in the Hebrew, set apart. It would be someone that wants to set themselves apart to the Lord. And now after being in the book of Leviticus, we know that holiness means that we are set apart. And the whole idea about being set apart, it's a, it's a twofold thing. We have to be set apart away from this world away from the things of this world, and then we can be set apart for the Lord and for the things of this world in in any relationship, right? But as it goes up in the hierarchy of relationships, right? To be a husband and a wife, it means that you are a husband only to this woman, right? If you're a wife, you are a wife only to this man. You are set apart away from all the other men in this world, all the other women in this world, and you are set apart only for this person. And it's the same truth just in us growing spiritually. It's just day in and day out deciding. It's a decision you have to make to be separated away from this world and set apart for the Lord and the work of the Lord. Three notable men, right? God's word tells us a man or a woman could take this Nazarite vow, but God's word only gives us three men as examples. We know Samson in Judges chapter 13, verse 5. He was a Nazarite, and he was set apart to be a Nazarite since conception, really. His mom took the Nazarite vow so that he'd be a Nazarite for those 10 months in the womb, if you would. John the Baptist, he's the second Nazarite that we see, and that's in Luke Chapter 1, verse 15, right? He added a little bit of his own flair to it. He wore camel skin. He liked locusts and honey, right? That's some extra stuff there, special guy. And then finally, we have the apostle Paul, who in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, he took a very special vow, which we believe is the Nazarite vow, and he would go on to shave his head. We're going to see later on how he wants to fund other young men that are willing to take this vow. But the whole idea here, right, is it's a good idea for us to want to draw nearer to God. Are you actively making decisions in your life to draw 
nearer to God. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just magically appear and all of a sudden you're closer to the Lord. There are decisions that you and I have to make, things we have to put off and things that we have to put on if we want to draw nearer to God. In Psalm chapter 73, verse 26 through 28, it says, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Let's turn to James chapter 4. It's the New Testament scripture for us on why should we draw near to God. I guess Old Testament is draw near to God or you're going to die, basically, right? That's what we just read there. That's the reason you should draw near to God. That's a pretty good enough reason for me. I remember in kindergarten having a teacher explain salvation, right? Hey, if you accept Jesus, you won't burn in hell for all of eternity. As a five-year-old, that sounded great, right? No more of the gospel did I need. I want that. But in James chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, James, he, he expands a bit more on the idea and the cost, really, of drawing nearer to God. The cost and the blessing. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Again, the whole idea here from James is that as we draw near to God, He's going to draw near to us, and we're going to want to put off sin. We're going to want to cleanse ourselves from more and more sin. More and more things are going to convict us. We're going to want to grow and be more and more like the Lord, and then we will lament more. We're going to mourn more. We're going to weep more in view of our sin, in view of the sin of our nation, being brokenhearted at the sin in others, you kind of do. You cry more as you grow and you mature as a believer. And it's really a blessing that the Lord would convict us from smaller and smaller things. Right? Many of the great men of God, they are convicted about smaller and smaller things. As you grow and mature with the Lord, you sin less, but you confess more in a sense. Right, Lord, I can't believe I thought that thought. Lord, I, I can't believe I didn't speak to that person. Lord, I can't believe I wasn't more gracious in my speech. That's the heart of someone who's growing with the Lord. The heart of someone that is stagnant or that doesn't want to grow with the Lord is someone who's making excuses for their sins. Someone who's always making excuses for their sins. This is okay or God's okay with this gray area or hey, grace and mercy on me, brother, right? That's someone who wants to stay stagnant in their walk with the Lord. But the vow of the Nazarite, what would they do? They would want to put off even more to dedicate it to the Lord. It reminded me of a quote from Jim Elliott. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Again, it's just a wise man to know my life is not really in my hands in the first place. 
I can't guarantee that no driver in Miami is going to hit me, right? I can't guarantee that my heart isn't going to fail or I'm not going to have an aneurysm. I'm not going to have cancer in my body. I can't guarantee any of those things. So wouldn't it be wise just to dedicate my whole life, my whole body to the Lord anyways? But back to Numbers chapter 6 verse 3. It says, He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine or vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Right? If you're a Cuban here, you're going to have picadillo with raisins in it. Right, that, that's always up for debate. Should Picadillo have raisins in it, right? Also up for debate. But if you made this Nazarite vow, you would want to be so far from alcohol, you wouldn't even go through any vineyard. You wouldn't even go near it. You wouldn't even touch it. You wouldn't have vinegar. I don't know of anybody that drinks vinegar on purpose, right? Apple cider vinegar maybe, but no Welch's grape juice, no juicy juice, nothing like that. Stay away from grapes, raisins, just showing how much he wants to be separated away from this world and separated to the Lord. Robert Jameson, he says, The use of wine tended to inflame the passions, intoxicate the brain, and create a taste for luxurious indulgence. And that's also one of the other reasons they would separate from wine. Wine is really a term of blessing or luxury throughout Scripture. And someone that wanted to be so dedicated to the Lord did not want to have false idols. And there's just some people today that they don't want to go further with the Lord. If we're honest, there's some parents today that they don't want their kids to go further with the Lord because they think that their kids require and need more luxury in life instead of being closer and closer to the Lord. I think if we're very honest, there'd be some parents today that if our kids would say, hey, I want to go and be a missionary in Sudan... We would sort of start questioning our kids. Is that really what you want to do? Is that really wise? Is that really of the Lord? Right? We have to be careful with that because sometimes America, again, I think it's the best of the worst countries out there, right? And I love our nation, but the American dream, sometimes it can creep as an idol into what it means to be a Christian. And if everyone's just about luxury and white picket fences and the two and a half kids and the one and a half dog, right? No one's going to go out there and do harder and harder things for the Lord because then we're just making decisions based on our comforts, just based on luxury. So the Nazarite vow, they would do it because they didn't want anything to affect their hearts. They didn't want their hearts going after luxury instead of going after the Lord. But they also wanted nothing to affect their senses. They wanted their whole heart to be given to the Lord. And that's a theme often found in Scripture, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4 through 5. It says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Again, the only time wine has a good connotation in Scripture is if you have stomach issues, right? That's basically it. Paul tells Timothy, hey, those ulcers, all that stress you got, right? You got to drink something to coat your stomach. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul tells the church of Ephesus, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In both 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, Paul tells these sons in the faith that a bishop needs to be blameless and he needs to be not given to wine. There's a whole list there. We don't have time to go through it. But scripturally, right, there's not much blessing or benefit to wine. This world will tell you it's the picture of luxury, right? This world will tell you it's the only way to relax after a difficult or stressful day. But we got the Lord. We got the Holy Spirit. I don't have to be running to CVS in the middle of the night to get a $15 bottle of wine to help myself relax. I have the Lord. I have the Holy Spirit that can do that for me. I don't have to be worried that someone's going to be in an emergency in the middle of the night as a pastor and have to think, oh man, am I really fully there, right? I had too many drinks last night. I don't know if I can go pray to them. I'm going to have to call an Uber to get dropped off at the hospital to pray with them, right? No, I don't want that. I want to be ready and filled with the Spirit. I love what Joe Fo says. Uh, Jesus, when he's doing the, the Last Supper with his disciples, he says, hey, I'm not going to drink of this cup of wine until I'm with the Father and you're there with me. So Joe says, hey, when Jesus gives me a cup of wine, I'm drinking that thing, right? But, but until then, I'm not. Until then, I'm not. Uh, verse 5. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy, and then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. So here now everyone would be able to see the difference in this man or in this woman. Right? And the woman would be a little bit more difficult, but in the man, you would see their hair growing and growing and growing, and you would know right away, oh, that man is a Nazarite. That man is set apart from this world and set apart towards the Lord. Right? Do, do people see that in our lives? There's little things we can do today, our, our language, how crass or not crass we are, the jokes we laugh at, the things we watch, the things we listen to, our speech, are we cutting down everyone around us? Are we building up the people around us? Do people know by just looking at you that you are set apart away from this world and you're set apart for the things of God? Some people think that Samson's strength was locked in his hair and that's why when Delilah cuts his hair, that's when the strength leaves him. But Samson's strength was in his vow to the Lord. And once there was that public sin of his breaking of that vow, that's when his strength left him. All the other sins were sort of in private, and perhaps the Lord was trying to deal with Samson. But finally, when there was that sin in public for everyone to see, that's when the Lord took away his spirit from him. And uh, we know the story with that. Verse 6 through 8, it says, All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. There's a few things to look at here. One is that this man or woman is so separated to the Lord and for the things of God, not even his own family gets in the way of his dedication to the Lord. If we're honest, for many of us, that's the hardest battle, right? There are things that are just flat-out sins. We know it's flat-out wrong. 
But we know we should be good as parents. We should be good as kids. And then the question comes, man, am I doing this just to please man or am I doing this to please God? Can I please the Lord while still being a good son or a good daughter? But here, the Levi, not the Levite, the Levites as well, but the Nazarites were so separated unto the Lord that they would not go near a dead body even if it was their own family. The other thing to look at here is that death is the full effect of sin. Right? That's what James tells us. Death is the full effect of sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. So the Lord wanted the Nazarites to be so separated away from sin that they would not go near a dead body even if it was their own family. Robert Jameson, he also mentions that contact with a dead body would disqualify someone from divine service. So the Nazarite would carefully avoid such a case of unfitness. And like the high priest, he did not assist at the funeral of his nearest relatives preferring his duty to God to the indulgence of his strongest natural affections. Right? Again, it gets difficult as a parent when you're having to say no to your sons and daughters because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It also gets hard for some of you teenagers and young adults that you may be, not, maybe not if your parents come here, but you may be more spiritual than your parents. And you have to say, no mom, no dad, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to serve the Lord with my life and with my heart. We can be reminded of Jesus, how he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In verse 9, we see just the God of grace that we serve. Right? The just in case, he says, if anyone dies very suddenly besides him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. So if the guy's on the bus and someone just drops dead, right? If a surprise party went wrong, right, and went bad and the guy has a heart attack or something like that, whatever the case may be, if by some accident the Nazarite is exposed to a dead body, he's not just cast away from the presence of God. His vow was not for nothing. Instead, God gives a way for him to still be right with the Lord. Verse 10, it says, On the eighth day you shall bring two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Right? There are some people that think that mistakes don't count as a sin. It was just a mistake. It was just a whoopsie daisy, right? Uh, I, I didn't realize that, so it doesn't really count as a sin. It's not my fault. Here, God's word is saying that someone literally dropped dead in front of a person, and yet they were still required to make the sacrifices needed for that sin. And that's a, something that's very important to us. Sin is still sin, whether you realize it or not. Whether it was a mistake, whether it was a whoopsie-daisy, whether someone else led you in a wrong way. Once you realize it, once you know that it's a sin, there's still confession that needs to be made. 
Now for us, we don't need to come here and make an offering. We just need to get right with the Lord. We need to get right with anyone else that we may have hurt in the process of our sin. But just because we're not aware of it, right? So often David would pray, Lord, cleanse me of my sins, my besetting sins, sins I don't even know, sins that are in my heart. That's the heart that each of us should have. David Guzik mentions that in the Mishnah, it speaks on how Queen Helena had almost completed seven years of a Nazarite vow when she was defiled, and therefore she kept it for another seven years, right? Think of Jacob and the wives and all the work he had to do. But verse 13, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. This is kind of a big list, right? Three different animals you'd have to bring. And this reveals, in a sense, to us that if we want to truly be separated more and more to the Lord, there's going to just be a cost associated with it. There's going to be a cost. And if we really love the Lord, we're more than willing to pay that cost, right? When you really love someone, you're more than willing to pay the cost of forsaking all others only being devoted to them. When you really love someone, you're willing to pay that cost to buy that present or go on that vacation to take that trip. And it should be the heart, our heart for the Lord. Lord, I love you so much. I want to offer you something that costs me something. Right? That's what David said. I'm not going to offer something to God if it costs me nothing. This would also be a big sacrifice and a large public ceremony when someone would complete their Nazarite vow. It would be ceremony, it would be excitement. The people would be happy and would join together. In Acts chapter 21, you could just write it down, but in Acts chapter 21, verse 24, Paul, he tells them to take these four men that have made the Nazarite vow, and he says to pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And again, just the heart of Paul, the heart that we should have as a church, as a church body is, hey man, if somebody else wants to go and devote more of their lives to the Lord, we should want to buy into that. We should want to bless people that want to devote more of their lives to the Lord. Sometimes that happens with the missions trips, with the camps, with the different retreats, that people want to join alongside of others that perhaps have the free time that I don't have, but they don't have the finances that the Lord has blessed me with. And we're going to see in how chapter 7, that's just how the body of Christ should be working. Just because I don't have the specific calling to go to X, Y, or Z does not mean that I can't help out in that. That I can't be a blessing to X, Y, or Z. Verse 16, Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He's going to offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. Perhaps this is why no ladies are mentioned in scripture making the Nazarite vow. Verse 19, And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram 
one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. He can go back to just being a normal everyday Israelite, a normal everyday citizen, and just enjoy in the same things that everyone else enjoys. Verse 21, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. Really quick, if you're fast, we could turn to Romans chapter 12. And there we see basically a New Testament version of the Nazarite vow for you and I. It's there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The whole idea separated away from this world and separated to God for the work of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, may that be our heart. Our heart should be like James 4 that we already read, right? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What a blessing, what a privilege we can have that if we draw near to the Lord, He will draw near to us. Back to Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. I don't know if any of you have gone through the difficult situation of being misrepresented to someone else, right? Maybe someone spoke poorly about you or on your behalf and now someone else has a bad picture or bad idea about you. Anybody enjoy that? Yes, I love being misrepresented, right? It's just my favorite thing in the world. No, most of us, we really hate it. It's a, it's a great annoyance to us. And even a greater sense when it's someone we really love or we really care about. Um, at a, a wedding we were just at, the groom was mentioning how the first time he met his bride-to-be, he had brought his cousin with him and he made sure to tell her, this is my girl cousin, right? And nothing else. I'm not dating. He didn't want to be misrepresented to her because he cared about her and he liked her. So how much more should we, to our own children, not want to be misrepresented? And here we see how God, our Father, did not want to be misrepresented to the nation of Israel. We see the cost, the price of Moses misrepresenting God to the nation of Israel. How it cost him his chance of these 40 years of hard work. And going to the promised land, he wasn't able to see it because he misrepresented God. And here God, he's speaking to Aaron and to all the priests and saying, this is exactly what I want you to tell my people because I don't want anyone misrepresenting me. We could read it real quick and then we'll come back through it. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel 
and I will bless them. Again, this is just such a sweet portion of Scripture, such an incredible prayer for us to memorize. This is a prayer I pray over my kids. I try to remember and pray over people at times that this is the heart of our God. We sort of went through this on Sunday through the book of Revelation that if someone, and especially if you're here and you're well-churched and you somehow think our God is a God of wrath, a God of anger, a God of revenge, Friend, you've allowed the world to conform your thought process of who God is. If you sort of think the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, a God of anger, right? God of the Old Testament, he was bad cop. And then Jesus comes along and he's good cop, right? The world has conformed you into their image and their thought process. This is the God of the Old Testament. And he doesn't tell Moses, hey Moses, Tell Aaron and tell his sons, this is what I want you to tell the people as they're leaving, one way or another, I'm going to find you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, get you, get you. No, nothing like that, right? It doesn't say anything like that. The Lord doesn't say, hey, right, better watch out, you better not cry, I'll tell you why, right? Nothing like that. The Lord, as they're leaving, just wants them to know his heart and his desire for them to be blessed by God, them to be kept by God, for God's face to shine upon them, God's grace to be upon them, that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon them, and that God would give them peace. The other beautiful thing is that this is all in the singular. God wanted them to know, hey, yeah, I want all of Israel to be blessed, but I want you individually to be blessed. You, you can. You can write your name in there. You can scratch out all those U's and you can write your name in there. Because that's literally what God meant and wanted and desired when Aaron and his sons would bless the people. He wanted them to know that God wanted to put this blessing upon each man and each woman individually. And it's the same today. God doesn't want to just bless us as a church, as a whole Calvary Chapel Miami. But the way Calvary Chapel Miami is blessed is by each of you individually being blessed and individually growing with the Lord. And then the whole church body is blessed. The whole church body grows. This blessing was pronounced in the daily morning service and in the later times in the temple and in the synagogues later on. Again, it's such an incredible blessing here. Charles Spurgeon, he mentions how our God wants us to pray, not through vain repetition, but how the Lord, he makes a special instance here where he gives them specifically what he wants them to say. He says the children of Israel might miss blessing through the ignorance or forgetfulness or unbelief of Aaron. And therefore it was not left up to him. But he had to learn by heart each word and sentence. In this wise and in no other he was to bless the people. I like this. For if God himself puts the very words into the mouth of his priest, then they are God's words. Again, God wanted the nation of Israel to know what his words were for those people. And truly we see the heart of God the Father coming out through this blessing. And I believe for every dad here, we should look at this list. And this is a great list to go through. Am I rightly representing God the Father to my children? Is this who I am? Do I want to bless them, keep them? And we'll look at it in a moment. Just a great reminder to us, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. 
So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great reminder to us. Sometimes we get caught up in the different pictures and views of who God is. But if you're saved, he's your father. And when you speak to him, when you cry out to him, he's your father. I think sometimes we lose that in our prayer life. We start talking to God like he's someone else, like he's something else. We pull out our theologian book when we come to talk to God. I don't want my kids talking to me out of a biology book, right? I don't want my kids talking to me out of a, a law book or anything like that, out of anything like that. I want my kids talking to me as their father, as their daddy. That's the heart of our God. So again, be reminded of that. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. We serve a God that desires to bless you. We serve a God that wants to keep you, a father that desires to bless you. Right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and that abundantly. Can we mention this on Sunday, how when God convicts you for different sins, for different evil, it's not because he hates you, it's because he's trying to bless you. He's trying to benefit you. He's trying to give your life more goodness and more blessings. He's trying to protect you. So again, that's the heart of our God, our Father. He is a God that desires to bless his children. He's a God that desires to keep his children, to protect them. He doesn't lose them, right? How Jesus says, none of them can be snatched out of my hand. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That's when someone looks at you and smiles, right? Again, that's the heart of our God. He doesn't look at us with a frown, right? He doesn't look at us with anger, with resentment, with bitterness. No, our God looks at us with a smile. Spurgeon, once again, he says, Why should he fret when God smiles? What matters, though all the world should censure, if Jehovah's countenances his servants? A look of approval from God creates a deep, delightful calm within the soul. Again, our God's desire is to be able to look at you and give you his approval, right? Jesus, what does he want to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. He wants to look at us and smile and give our souls calmness with his approval, his blessings. And he does that when he looks at us. Who does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees perfection. It's not through my work or my action. It's me in Christ. And he looks at us with that great delight. Our God, he desires to be gracious to us. He wants to give us grace. He wants to give us his goodness, his abundance. We don't deserve it. We can never work enough to deserve it. He gives it to us out of his goodness, his blessing. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. I think this is something we all taste of, right? I don't know if you've ever been out to dinner with someone and then their phone rings and they like just forget about you completely, right? And they just pick up the phone and they start talking, right? Or you're at dinner with someone, you're talking with them and, and they start texting, yeah, 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 yeah. They're not giving you their full attention. But have you ever been there when someone's on the phone and they see you come in and they say, hey, I gotta go, right? So-and-so just walked in and they hang up and they give you their full attention undivided attention. I encourage you, husbands and wives, right, sons and daughters, when you go to certain places, turn off your phone. 
Put it on mute. Give that person your full attention. And when it says the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, it's saying that God desires to give us his full attention. The God of the universe, the God that's keeping the whole cosmos in order, protecting our world, keeping the world from right, nuking each other, right? He looks at you and gives you his full, undivided attention. He turns off his phone. He turns off all the other chaos. And he says, what's up, my son? What's up, my daughter? That's the heart of our God. He desires to give us peace. And peace in this world, right? We talked about the wine. We've talked about different things. The only thing in this world that can give us peace is knowing that we're right with God, that we've tasted of the grace of God, that God gives us his full attention. That is when we can have the peace of God. When we're in that right standing relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have the peace of God. But again, that's his desire. He wants to give us peace. Do we deserve it? Not at all. We will never deserve it. We are unworthy of this blessing. But he looks at Jesus within us. And he says, hey, I want to bless you. I want to keep you. I want to shine my face upon you. I want to be gracious to you. I want to lift up my countenance upon you. I want to give you peace. Again, it's not because of our works or our actions. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is humble ourselves and say, God, it's as your word says. God, your word's right. I am wrong. 